We're glad that you're here. We've been in a series um, asking the question, who do we think we are? And it's been about identity. It's Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus. And we've talked a lot about us being chosen by God, us being children of God, us being uh, uniquely created by God, that we're kings and queens. And then we kind of moved in that God has made us alive in Jesus Christ. And then we kind of moved into a season where a few weeks we were talking about um, what Christ has done to unite us as a church, that we are a family. And, and Paul teaches that we're a family throughout the whole book. And it's in the midst of this town that is like a metropolis, metropolis back in the day. It was along a trade route. It was very, lots of institutions. And Paul's basically saying, hey, in the midst of this, we're not like this. We are not an institution. We are a family. And that's kind of the, the framework that he, um, that he teaches the church in Ephesus about and the Jews that are, that are there as well. Um, and one of the reasons that Paul that Paul frames it this way is because, is because back in the ancient Near East during this time, the, the meaning of family was, is very different than the meaning of family today. The meaning of family back then was, was very, um, like everybody existed for the family, okay? Everyone uh, supported the family. Everyone worked together as the family. Everyone worked towards the family being promoted, the family being encouraged, the family status in the community growing, the family's impact in the community growing, okay? So that's, that's how kind of family was. And your identity as an individual came from your family, came from your family. It didn't come from individuality, didn't come from individual achievement, didn't come from, from what you did or how you did it. It all came from how your family was doing, okay? And, and that's true for the nation of Israel. We see this all through scripture. And so Paul's saying this to them because he knows that they'll understand what it means to be a family. But in our culture, family is very different or, or our culture is very different where it's almost like our family exists to support us, right? And, and, and it's created this kind of entitlement issue that this generation has that I grew up in as well. And we kind of feel like, well, my, my family loves me, they care for me, but um, they exist to drive me to soccer games and live for that, and baseball games, and you know, support me, give me money, buy me cars. Like This is their duty, this is their role. Family exists for me, not me for the family. Now, this isn't true across the board, but it is a general reality that has happened in our culture. We're the only culture right now, the only culture in the history of the world that is like this. The only culture over the history of the world. Now, that could not be true either because I I have read that somewhere and I'm pretty sure it is true. I'm, I'm very, yeah, I think it is true, okay? So just, uh, it's right. It's 100% true. But we are, the, we are different from everyone else. There's this reality about us that is different. And so when we hear the word family, we don't hear the same thing that the Ephesians did, that the Jews heard back then. And so when Paul, and, and what we need to be aware of as I talk about family today, because it's a family service and we're dedicating babies, as I talk about family today, you need to remember that it's in the context of who Paul was speaking to then. This is what family's really supposed to be like. This is, what fam- this is how we are created to be in family. That in the family of God, 
We exist to build his kingdom. And the family of God, we exist to further his name. We exist to tell people about the Father's great love. And that we, as a family, we are a family that we are to treat each other like brothers and sisters. Even more so, and even more so, as Scripture tells us, than our biological brothers and sisters. That there is a uniqueness about us coming together in Jesus Christ as brothers and sisters that is powerful, that is necessary. As we come together, and we, and we see this picture, it is under the Father's love. It is because the Father loves us, He has chosen us, He has brought us into His family, and we are called to be brothers and sisters to each other. Jesus is the one who rescued us, and He's our Savior, but He's also called our brother. And again, this is a theme that is all through the Bible. And I want to talk about, specifically today, that uh, what, what does that really mean? Do we really need to be a part of a family together? Do we really need each other? Does the church really need us? And so I'll use the church and the word family kind of intercha- interchangeably throughout the day, okay, or, the, or this talk, okay? Because we hear that, don't we? We hear like, yeah, I need a family. I want to be a part of the family of God. Like, that makes sense to me. I need relationships that are going to encourage me. They're going to give me fellowship. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, what happens is we mature as we grow a little bit. It gets hard, doesn't it? It gets hard. Because church is filled with a bunch of sinners, you know, or saints that were sinners. Very diverse group, very broken group, a group that uh, isolates themselves naturally, that feels entitled, like I said. And, uh, and so we get around people that we don't like or that are different from us. And we disengage, right? We disengage. We stop acting like they're a brother or a sister because it's uncomfortable. And it might get more uncomfortable. And so we disengage. We avoid real intimacy. Remember a few weeks ago, I talked about what does it mean that God has unified us or that he has brought us together as a family? And it it, it talked about a marriage relationship. That's the kind of intimacy and relationship that we are created for with each other. That's the depth of it. And so we disengage from that. We pull back from that. Or maybe we start going to church just on the weekends, kind of consuming and be a part of like, yeah, I need this. I like this. But I don't want those crazy. They're weird, man. They're so different from me. They drive me, well, I mean, batty. I don't know if I can handle that. And so we, we disengage. And eventually what we might do is we might begin to think, you know, I, do I really need this? There's over 15 million born-again Christians who don't go to church in our country. 15 million know the Lord, love the Bible, and they choose not to go to church because they don't believe they need to be in the family of God, that they can do it on their own. You know, they believe that they're a sword, that I mean, iron sharpens iron, and they're just like, I'm a sword, I'm going to sharpen myself, right? You can't do that. You can't do that. And you have to ignore huge chunks of Scripture to justify not being in the family of God, and this is, this is one of them. And not becoming who God's created you to be. Okay, and so we're going to look at Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. It says this. And I want to say this before I say this. This is not a sermon about leaving the church. Okay, because people are called out of the church. People are called, to, and God leads them into different churches, into different ministries. And so I don't want to just say, if you leave the church, you know, you're a pagan, you're, gonna, you're swinging over hell on a rotten vine, and good luck with that, Right? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the church 
either this church or another church, but the body of Christ is designed for you to be a part of it and it to be a part of you. And we need you, the church needs you, and you need the church. And Paul says this in Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. Just listen to the one. Like God is talking through Paul, emphasizing this reality that we are called to be one. We are one in Christ. And so he goes on and says, he says, just as you were called to the one hope, Jesus Christ, that belongs to your call. He called you out of the world into relationship with him, the only hope in the world for life, okay? The one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I mean, that is amazing that we have been called into this reality where God is in all, everything. But he's saying, Paul's saying, make no mistake, you are going to miss out on all that I have for you, all that God has for you, if you split, if you divide, if you don't engage as brothers and sisters in intimate relationship that I've called you to be a part of. And we talked about this yesterday. We said that Christ has died. He's killed hostility on the cross so that we have no excuse to not be in relationship. We have no excuse to have offense in our heart. We have no excuse to not forgive because we have been forgiven by Christ who didn't deserve that, that, that none of us have done to each other, none of us have done to each other what we have done to Christ. And so Christ says, I've killed hostility, I've murdered it, it's gone. You guys can get together. You can, you're brothers and sisters, and in that unity, that, that reconciliation, you can find life together. Okay, he begins with this, I therefore, I've started doing this, because whenever he says, I therefore, you have to go back. Well, what, what, what's therefore? Why is he thereforeing, right? And it comes on the heels of chapter 3. This will be a familiar verse to some of you. It says, be, um, because God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at the work of, that's within us. And then it says, to him be, the, be, glory in the, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. Therefore... I urge you, I, and that word is like, I plead with you, I beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We are called to walk and live in a way that demonstrates we belong to Jesus. We don't belong to the world. We belong to Jesus. We serve Jesus. We love Jesus. And we walk in a way that identifies us as belonging to him, his family, not the institutions of the world. And how can you do this? Because there is a power within you, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is within you to do more than you can ask or imagine. And again, you're gonna need him to do more than you can ask or imagine because you're surrounded by people that you're not like. And that it's messy in church and we hurt each other and we have to ask for forgiveness. And there are times where where we can only do that as we are empowered by the Spirit to do what we can't do. 
But the promise of God in this verse is I will be able, I will do this through you in ways that you can't imagine, in ways that will bring life that you can't imagine. And, and you think you can, but you can't. That's the promise that Paul leads up to saying this. Because many of us, again, you can probably think of someone who's hurt you in the church, can't you? You can think of someone. And, you, and, and maybe you believed that I'll, I'll forgive them with God, but I'll, I'll never be able to have a relationship with them again. Is that the truth? Is that the manifestation of a power that raised Jesus from the dead? Is that settling for less? I think so. I think so. And that's not God's desire. You know, as we raise these children that we dedicated today, there will be many, many times where God will intervene through the power of his spirit and do something that we could never imagine or think of. And you're a little Everett Brave today. I go, that was emotional for me because we've been praying for him and he had this bone disease and it was mild to severe, which, which is a game changer. It, it, it means a lot of different things I won't get into, but it's, it's very, it just, it changes everything. And we've been praying, worshiping, and going after healing with him. And three days before he's dedicated, they get news after months and months and months that he has the mildest form of this disease. The doctors were saying, no, it's going to be medium or severe. And he comes back and has the mildest form. That's the power of God that is in you exercising itself and bringing the kingdom of God to bring healing in a way that we couldn't imagine, that we couldn't, you know. I mean, Chris and Audra could. Every time we talked to them, they were like, yeah, this is happening. This is going to happen. And they carried the rest of us into a place where we could experience and see the power of God moving. And then it says, the little bit, the, the next verse in that, that head chapter, in chapter 3, it says, but it is so that God will be glorified in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations. Jesus and the church is how God will be glorified through all generations. Through all generations. The church is equated to Jesus Christ as the, as the way that the world will know that God is the king, that God is the father that loves us. It is through us and Jesus Christ that we will testify to that. That is amazing. That is amazing that Jesus sits on the throne next to the Father right now, right? Interceding for us, okay? He's interceding for us. And we have been trusted as the church to glorify the Father, to make the Father beautiful, to make the world see, look, look at how good the Father is. What a privilege that is, an amazing privilege. And again, as we, as we step out of the church, we step out of being a part of that. And yes, we glorify God individually, but in such, in such a way that doesn't complete or doesn't, it's certainly less powerful. Because when we glorify God individually, what's really happening? We're being glorified, aren't we? Oh, Antley, he, he, pray, he prayed for me. He healed me. Right? Yeah. But what if the church, we surround Everett, we together pray for him, we unite for him. Who gets the glory? Who gets the praise? God does. It's not any one individual. 
We're all filled with the Spirit. We're all empowered by the Spirit. Again, the same Spirit that raised you from the dead is in all of us. And so when we pray, we pray corporately, we pray together. So God is glorified. And we've seen what happens when ministers or leaders get power, right? What, they, not all of them, but they get this power, they get this sense of it's about me and everyone else is less than me. I have a unique gifting, I have a unique calling. And what happens? They go off the rails because God will not let someone else be glorified. God will not allow that. He is the king. He has the power. The spirit gives it out as he desires, brings healing as he desires not any one individual. No, no, we can't handle that. We cannot handle that. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Here's why. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now, often people teach on what's humility, what's, you know, what's bearing with one another in love. What's, I'm not going to do that today because all the words like you know what they mean and you know that that's a part of the Christian faith. But this is what Paul's talking about. He's saying when we are humble, when we are gentle, when we are patient, when we bear with one another in love, it says we maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We maintain if you maintain something, it's, it already exists, doesn't it? If you're maintaining something, it's something that God has already done. And so God has already, already established his kingdom. He has already died for us. We talked about this in the first chapter. He has already done all of these things. He's already made us kings and queens. He's already unified us. He's already done all of these things. And he's saying, you need to maintain what I've already started. And you will do it through the power of the Spirit. This is what that verse means. The unity of the church as we are bonded together by peace that comes from the Spirit. Okay? So Paul's saying, Ephesian church, the way that you maintain what's already happening is by being united with the Father. Being united with the Father together by peace. By peace that comes from the Spirit. So as we experience the Spirit, we're, we're bound together as a family. And then and only then can we be humble. Can we be gentle? Can we be loving? right? Because if, if, it, if we could do that on our own, again, who would be glorified? We wouldn't need the power of the Spirit in our life. Okay, so this word maintains means like do it. Do it now. It's an imperative verb, which means get on it. Don't wait back. If you wait back, you're missing out on what's already happening, right? Because the Spirit's already moving. The Spirit has already done this, and God's calling us to maintain this, but if you sit back or if you're passive or if you have a wait, I'll wait and see mentality, see what the Spirit says, then I'll do, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out. That's what Paul's saying. In this verb that he used, he's saying that. He's saying move towards each other. And in doing so, you will experience what I have done and what I am doing. And he's warning them also with this verb, with this word. Stay within the unity that God has already accomplished in Christ, that Christ has killed hostility. Stay within the unity of Jesus Christ, which we were brought into by the Spirit. What holds us together as we seek to maintain the unity is the peace of Christ. And he uses this word bond, this bond of peace. So the Spirit brings us peace from God, 
and unites us together with this bond, okay? And this bond allows us, as we experience the power of the Spirit, to walk humbly, to love, to be gentle, kind, love, joy, peace, patience, kind, you know, all those through the Spirit manifest in us as we experience the love of the Father through the power of the Spirit joined together in the work of Christ. Colossians 3, 12 to 14, it's another letter that, that Paul wrote, says almost identical, the same thing with a little twist on it. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, same language, okay, holy and beloved, put this on, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one of you has a complaint against the other, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must, must forgive each other. And above all, put on love, which binds. Okay, so we have bond, which binds together in perfect harmony. So Paul's saying to the Ephesian church, what you need is peace. You need to be bound together in peace. Colossian church, you need to be bound together in love. And as you experience the peace, as you experience the love of God, you'll be able to walk out the the worthiness that you've been created for as a called child of God. It says, put on love. I'm going to tell you what, what this word means. It's very cool. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is what perfect harmony means. Is that it says we're being welded together. We're being welded together in love, right? Being welded together in love. And then we're perfectly unified. Whenever you weld something, I didn't know this. I thought about it, but I went and looked it up. And this is true, okay? This is for real. This is not a lie. This is true. So in welding, what happens is you have metal and metal, right? Instead of steel and steel. And what happens is you add something to that. It fuses in heat. And what's left is stronger than what you began with. What? What? Yes. That's what's happening here. It's as indivi- this is why we need the church. As, as individuals, as individuals, we're, I mean, we're in Christ, right? We're free. We're going to go to heaven, all of these things. But Paul's saying, but you will be, as you unite together in Jesus Christ, as you are welded together in love, you become stronger. You become more of who you've been created to be. And it makes the church more who she is created to be, a more beautiful bride that glorifies God along with Jesus Christ as we are welded together. You know, if we take this analogy, this welding analogy, to its extreme, and we, we don't have time to. It was amazing. This awesome picture that I had. I was going to have acting and, and, and like horses in here and stuff. And I, I, I don't have time to do it. I don't have time to do it. But basically, it involves, as you become a Christian, right? You come into the church, right? And you're saved and you're a believer and you have Jesus Christ, Okay, and, and what happens in the church, it's like an incubator. It's like a Petri dish where, where the church is like the heat that we're born into, we're called into. The church like creates the tension, right? And we're like, I can't love that person. I can't forgive that person. I, I can't be humble. I can't be gentle. And all of this is being created. It's coming out in the church context because we are called to be a part of the context. If we remove ourselves from the church, then we are the judge of our humility. Then we are the judge of our forgiveness. We are the judge of our righteousness. But in the church, people are like, yo, brother, you are off here. You are off, right? Or, or you need to, you're, you're not gentle, you're angry. Why are you so angry? And so it's the church, it's the church, us together as brothers and sisters 
that we become fused together. And if we're not a part of the church, we remain, our identities in Christ, we're going to heaven, but we, we live a boring life. We live a life that is mediocre in Christ. We never fulfill and become who God's created us to be. Oh, this is the last page. Uh oh. Gotta land it. <laughs> Go a little ad lib right here. No, so what happens? What happens in that scenario? Like you come into the church, they're like, oh yeah, this is really easy. I'm coming in here and it's like unicorns and care bears. Like, oh man, I love everyone. This is awesome. I forgive you. We're gonna be intimate. We're gonna be brothers and sisters, and this is awesome. That's exa- that's what happens, right? No, that's not what happens. No, you're like, I want to throat punch you, brother. Why did you do that to me? You hurt me. Why did you do that? That's not like Jesus. And we come to this conclusion, I can't do this. I cannot do this on my own. And what happens then? The power of the Spirit comes in us, comes in us in ways that are unthinkable, unimaginable, and brings us together and welds us with Christ, the love of Christ. And only then, only then can we forgive, walk humbly, be compassionate, and be loving towards one another. Remember, this book is about bigging up God. And it's the church where he is glorified, along with Jesus Christ, creates a scenario that we cannot do on our own so that he is glorified, He is made beautiful, and we are dependent on the power of the Spirit moving through us. Who do we think we are? We're a family. We are a family of brothers and sisters united in the love of Christ for the glory of God. Let's stand.